There's many ways that we give back to God as a church. One of the ways we do that is what we just did by um, by encouraging each other in the time of uh, fellowship and greeting one another and by just reminding each other that we are not alone, that we are part of a family. Amen to that. And we have we are called the church. This building is not the church, but we are called the church. And that is the people of God. And um, and so as being the people of how can you pass that to me? That piece of paper, thanks. Being the people of God, uh, nobody saw you, don't worry about it. It's all good. Um one of the, the most important things that we do is we study God's Word together. And we open it up and we look through books of the Bible and we study to go deeper and see how it is that this ancient text written over thousands of years can still apply to us today. And we know that that's true, most importantly, because it is the Word of God and God never changes. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so therefore, His Word is the same. It applies to us just as it did to its original hearers and readers so many uh, centuries ago. And so all of God's Word is profitable. And so we look at all of it. Today, we come to the very end of our study and our look at the book of Malachi. And so we just want to do, of course, a brief overview. And then um, I will read it. It's just the last three verses of chapter 4. So if you're following along in your own Bibles, it's Malachi 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. A brief passage and a brief message today as we conclude our study of Malachi, looking at the indifference of God's people and how the people of Israel had grown indifferent towards God in their offerings, in their worship and in their obedience. And so a quick overview, and then we'll read the last three verses together. So if you remember when we started, we, we noticed that Malachi is a prophet called by God, and he's the very last prophet that we see recorded in the Old Testament. So if you looked at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you opened your Bible and you separated the two, the Old and the New, you would see that it ends, the Old ends with Malachi, And the new begins with the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John giving an account of Jesus, who was the promised Messiah. And so in a few short weeks, we will begin our study of one of those Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, because as we end today and we see Malachi's last words as the prophet, it begins a period of silence, about 400 years, where God does not speak to his people. There's much that's happening, and we're actually going to cover that in a couple of weeks, and we're going to look at the time in between the Testaments. So it's not necessarily from the Word of God, but it's historical. We have to see what's going on with the people of Israel during that time. What is it that they were looking for? That's actually how we end our series today. What were the people anticipating? Why had they grown indifferent? What was it that they were missing that they were looking for that they believed had not happened and probably would not happen? And so when we come to this conclusion, we we look back and we say just over four short chapters, we see Malachi calling the people out, God doing most of the talking in this book, calling the people out for, uh, for becoming indifferent to God. We saw that God called the people out 
because they offered up worship that was insincere. The priests, God said, were offering not the best and the first, but the worst and the last of the animal sacrifices, of all that they were supposed to bring. But in each time, through this sort of question and answer, this question and then response, the people seem to have grown callous and indifferent like, God, what do you mean that you're a God of justice? What do you mean that you will bless us? What do you mean that you are a God who desires pure worship? Because they had just grown indifferent. And you know, the interesting part is that it was only about a hundred years after God brought them out of exile. So God delivered them. And of course, the, the people of Israel, right, the Jewish people, they remembered and look back so often to their history of how God blessed them and how God called Abraham to be their father. And, and when they were enslaved in Egypt, God sent Moses, right, his prophet, to call them out and what he did by protecting them from Pharaoh and his armies and parting the Red Sea and all of that. And they looked to see back in their past, remembering what God has done. But just about a hundred years after God saved them and rescued them from exile, brought them back to the land just a hundred years later, here they are, have grown indifferent. A hundred years might seem like a long time, but in the history of the people of Israel, it really wasn't. Think about that in our context. How long does it take for us to go from a time where God blesses us, answers our prayers, and we recognize Him blessing us and providing, to then when we start to slip back into our old ways of thinking and say, oh, maybe God forgot about me because He's not taking care of me the way that He used to. See, it's very common. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. And we see the people of Israel doing the same thing. And so God sends His prophet Malachi. Turns about to be the very last prophet that God will send in a long line of prophets to deliver this very simple message. Return to Me. He calls them back to the law. You're going to see today in verse 4. He says, remember me, remember my law. But specifically, he says, remember me. Return to me. I want a relationship with you. Come back to me. And I'll accept you with open arms. Shouldn't that be the basis of our hope? As people of God, and now as the church being saved and being reconciled to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ, that last sacrifice, We say thank God for His goodness and His grace because our sins have been forgiven. We have been washed clean through the blood of Christ. And therefore, we can rejoice and have hope and be assured of our salvation. No longer needing to fear the judgment. And so we see in these verses, which I'll read now, that God simply tells them through Malachi to remember and to look forward. And that's what we're going to do this morning. What's important about remembering the past? It's only because we want to look forward. It says in Malachi 4, 4 through 6, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet 
before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That is how not only the book of Malachi ends, but the entire Old Testament. With sobering words, turn to me, recognize the one I send to herald the coming Messiah, or else I will strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What a way to end the Old Testament. But even within that sobering message and that look towards that great day of the Lord, which will cover as well the day of judgment, we know that there is always hope with God because God is compassionate and God is forgiving. That's why we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, that He was the one that was sent to fulfill God's promise. Jesus came the first time about 2,000 years ago to bring a message of peace. He offered the kingdom. It was rejected. So the Gospel goes out to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and it is an offer of peace and hope and salvation through Him. But when Christ returns the second time to the earth after we as the church have been raptured and caught up with Him and been glorified in our new bodies, after the great tribulation that will befall this earth because of their unrighteousness and wickedness, Scripture says, Christ will return for what we call the second advent, the second coming, coming to the earth to finalize His judgment on the people of Israel, the people that are unbelievers. But even within that great day of the Lord, that day of judgment, there is still hope. There is still hope. Because Christ comes to set up His kingdom, His millennial kingdom, to rule and to reign. And church, you know what? Scripture, I think, clearly tells us that as believers, having been raised with Him at the rapture before all of that takes place, it says that when Christ establishes His kingdom on earth and sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem to rule over the earth for a thousand years, you know who gets to reign with Him? We do. Isn't that awesome? So that's why we are people of hope. But yet we know we live in a world that is broken, that is hurting, that is lost, and needs the Gospel message. So here in these few short verses, let's cover what it means to remember. To remember the law, to be obedient. Let's look at the person of Elijah. Why does he end the whole Old Testament? To say, I will send Elijah to you. That's curious. To do what? To reconcile fathers and children? And what is this day of the Lord even about? Has Elijah already come? Is he still to come for us? What does this have to do with Jesus the Messiah? So let's look at that briefly. You know, every year at Passover, we're all familiar with Passover, the Jewish people celebrate the Lord's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Again, remembrance is a big part of the life of the Jewish people. They look back into the Scriptures and they remember in their tradition and their history of being God's chosen people how God provided for them every step of the way. And God, even 
When the people disappointed and disobeyed God, God was merciful. Yes, there was judgment and there was punishment and there was exile. There was famine in the land, but God ultimately heard their cries and redeemed them. The people look back and remember. And during the Passover time, they remember His provision for life and how He rescued them from oppression and slavery in Egypt. Part of that holy time is the Seder meal. We've done that here. The Passover Seder. Remember, it was a couple years ago. We did that with David and Beth Brewer. It's really important because we as Christians, Christians can see Christ in the Passover. So much symbolism there. But here's what's interesting in regards to our text today. That part of that Seder meal where a Jewish family will sit around and recount the story of Moses and Pharaoh and God freeing them from oppression by God's miraculous deeds, there is during that Seder meal, during the Passover celebration, a cup. One of the cups that they fill is called the cup of Elijah. And they fill that cup and they do so with great excitement and expectation. And here's why. Because at the end of that special Seder meal during the Passover, they fill that cup of Elijah and then they ask a child, the father who's overseeing it, will ask a child to go to the door of the house and open it and invite in the prophet Elijah. You see, the Jewish people are looking forward to Elijah the prophet returning to herald and to bring in to prepare the way of the Messiah. And so they send a child to open the door and invite him in. But each year, of course, they open the door and Elijah's not there. There is disappointment. It doesn't end with disappointment, but we'll get to that later. But they open the door and the child opens the door to invite Elijah in because the Jewish people believe that Elijah is coming in great power to prepare the way of the promised Messiah. The one who will bring final redemption of God to Israel. And still today, our Jewish friends are awaiting. Awaiting that day. Elijah, they believe, will resolve all difficulties and problems with the law and life and prepare that way. But during that Seder meal, it's all about remembering. So first I want to look at Elijah. Why is it that God ends the Old Testament by saying, I will send you Elijah? What does he mean? And what does it mean for us? See, where does this tradition of Elijah as the forerunner of the Messiah emerge? Where does it come from even in Jewish tradition? And why has the prophet Elijah been given such a place of honor during the Passover? Think about that. There's really no special place of honor during the Passover or the Seder meal for Moses or Aaron or even King David. So why Elijah? First of all, over the centuries, um, the status, position of Elijah in Jewish tradition has sort of unfolded and developed But we need to look back and see what it is that Elijah did when he lived on this earth as one of God's prophets and see where this comes from. Because this is relevant to our passage today. Because God says, remember the law. Then He says, look to the future because I will send you Elijah. 
So very briefly, here it is. So we first, and you don't have to turn to it, but we first meet Elijah in the Old Testament in 1 Kings. A little bit of background. He suddenly appears. We don't know much about his family history, but he appears to challenge King Ahab. He was an evil king. He ruled the northern kingdom during about the 800s B.C. Elijah prophesied that a drought would come upon the land. Remember that story? Because of King Ahab's evil ways. And that's exactly what happens. But then we see Elijah facing off between the false god Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember that? The prophets of Baal call upon their god. They call on him all day long to bring rain, to rain fire from heaven, but it doesn't happen. You remember that story? Then Elijah builds an altar of stones. He digs a ditch around it, puts a sacrifice on top of the wood, and Elijah calls God the one true God, for water to be poured over his sacrifice three times. Elijah calls upon God. God sends down fire from heaven. Do you remember what happens with that fire? It burns not only the sacrifice, the wood, and it burns the stones and licks up the water in the ditch. What a victory for God. If you don't remember that story, you should turn back to that. That's in not now, but look back to it in 1 Kings 18. Very powerful story where God proves that He is more powerful than any other false gods, of course. So it was then that Elijah and the people, they destroyed all the false prophets of Baal because God had commanded them to. And after that great victory, rain once again fell on the land. A little bit of perspective. Some of the things that we see about Elijah. But the foundation for that hope that the Jewish people have for Elijah returning, it's found in these words in Malachi. Because God says, I will send Elijah. And here's what I think that really should mean for us in perspective of the cross, of Christ, and us being the church. We know that looking back at Malachi 3, if you remember, we saw that God promised to send a messenger and then a messenger of the covenant. Remember that? We saw very clearly from the New Testament and Jesus' teaching that the messenger was none other than John the Baptist. And the messenger of the covenant is Jesus Himself. So it seems very clear that God fulfills that promise to send the Messiah and the One as His forerunner through John the Baptist and Jesus. See, and that's how we're going to open our study of Mark and we see John the Baptist coming on the scene, the very last prophet, the one who does what? Who prepares the way of the Lord who is Jesus. See, so God is fulfilling that promise. Of course, we also know from the account of history and the account of the stories of the Gospel, the Jewish people deny that. They don't recognize Jesus as that Messiah, as a nation, as a whole. Most do not. There are consequences to that. But there is a distinction there between the messenger who is then to be John the Baptist and the messenger of the covenant who is Jesus. In Matthew 11, it says these words. It will be up on the screen for you. Matthew 11, 7-14, as a reminder, says this. It's a great uh, picture of Jesus teaching about John the Baptist. As the Elijah, as they went on their way, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing, they're kings in houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, and this is then from Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. See what Jesus is saying? That John the Baptist was that Elijah. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. So therein again shows that John is the very last prophet. But then look at verse 14. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. That is the words of Jesus. Saying he is that promised Elijah. Coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. But look at this phrase. We'll get back to it in a moment. But he says, if you are willing to accept it. If you're willing to accept it, he's telling his followers and the whole nation of Israel. It's an important point to remember. If you are willing to accept it. For it simply means this, that God had sent John the Baptist to prepare the way of Jesus. And Jesus sent It says God sent John the Baptist in the power and spirit of Elijah, just like he promised back in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And he is here to bring in the kingdom, to offer that reconciliation, to offer the kingdom you've been looking for if you are willing to accept it. But did they accept it? The day of the Lord. We know that in these passage in these verses we're looking at in Malachi 4, he says that he will send Elijah before that great and awesome day of the Lord. That is the day of judgment. Make no mistake about it. It's a day of judgment that is coming for the people of Israel and all for unbelievers in this world. But church, I tell you, the hope that we have is that we do not have to fear the day of judgment. Am I right? We don't have to fear that because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God sent Him as that one and final sacrifice. His blood was shed on the cross. So, if the people of Israel always are remembering, and God says to them in verse 4, remember the law, remember all that I called you to do and how to live, we, as the church, are to remember the cross. To remember the sufferings of Christ. To remember the resurrection and the hope that it gives us of life now and eternal life with Him. And that's the message of the Gospel that we are to live out and bring to the world around us. Even to the Jewish people. We're still looking for that promised Elijah. Every year opening the door at the end of the Seder meal. Is this the year? They even have a saying and a song that they sing during the end of their Seder meal. It's called Next Year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. Now, we know that there is the nation of Israel and people can go back to that and can live there. Part of that fulfillment of God's promises. But yet still, 
every year looking for Elijah. Perhaps even saying, next year in Jerusalem. For us, what does that mean? Perhaps the rapture comes today. We know. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's in the future, the near future, that Jesus will rule and reign on His throne in Jerusalem. That's what we look forward to, don't we? We look forward to reigning with Him. We look forward to being united once again with Christ. But I also believe this, and this is important, and this actually will come up again next week as we study what it is to say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's so crucial, such a crucial teaching and doctrine for us to understand what's going to happen next in the opening of the New Testament and the Gospel. What is that Gospel of the kingdom that Jesus and the disciples went to preach? I believe that if Israel had accepted the message of John the Baptist to repent and believe in Jesus, then Jesus would have done just what He came to do and to set up His kingdom just what they had prayed for, just what God in Malachi 4 had said He would do. He said, remember, because I will send Elijah. I will send one to tell you all about the coming Messiah. And didn't God do that? As we open the, the pages of the New Testament, we see Here comes on the scene John the Baptist. Even after 400 years of silence, God says, now is the time. The Jewish people rejected it and did not see it. And that is why it says in Matthew 11.14, Jesus says, if you are willing to accept it, He is the Elijah who was to come. But they did not. So therefore, Elijah is still to come. Now, we don't know for sure from the rest of the New Testament, especially even in Revelation 11, there's a passage about these two witnesses. Have you ever read about that? These two witnesses that will come during the end of the tribulation to give witness and bring many people to Him. Perhaps those two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Do you remember when Jesus ascended? Do you remember the great transfiguration? Not the ascension, the transfiguration when He shows a bit, a glimpse of His glory to a few of His close disciples. you remember that? Who was it that appeared with Jesus? Moses and Elijah? Perhaps, we don't know. Perhaps those are the two witnesses that come back in Revelation. We see it in Revelation 11. You can write it down as a reference and go back and read it. But what we do know is that their names are not given in Revelation 11. So perhaps it's them. Perhaps it's two others. But in a way, it would make sense if it was Elijah, wouldn't it? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of similarities between John the Baptist and Elijah and between Elijah and Moses and the two witnesses and the powers that they have of God in Revelation 11. I say all of that to give us perspective and to then end with the simple Gospel message that we, as God's people, as His church, we look forward to the return of Christ what we call the rapture. That could happen at any moment. I hope you believe that. Why? Because that is the Christian's great hope. That it could happen now during our service. It could happen tomorrow. We look forward to it. But what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? In the meantime, we are to remember what God says. There is a coming day of judgment. We don't like to think of it. Yes, the old Old Testament ends with that somber note. He says, if you don't, accept it, 
there will be a judgment. He calls it a great day of destruction and utter catastrophe. We don't want any to perish, do we? If our heart is to be after God's heart and His heart is that none would perish, but all would come to Him, then that should be our heart's desire as well. We say that phrase, God, would you break our heart for what breaks your heart? What breaks the heart of God is people that are lost. People that will then face that great day of judgment. Because sure enough, Jesus came His first time 2,000 years ago to bring peace and reconciliation through Himself. He did it for us. That we are now saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But He will return one day to the earth after having taken up His church at the end of that great tribulation that none of us would want to live through. And He comes to bring judgment. A final judgment on His chosen people Israel. On the people of the earth. But still in that, there is hope. Why? He sends two witnesses to share that hope. To bring back people to Himself. And those are the ones that will then, as we read last week, leap for joy because they have been set free and enter into the Millennial Kingdom where Jesus will rule and reign on earth. It's an awesome and terrifying but beautiful picture all at the same time. But what is our perspective? And what is our application? Right? We always need to know, how does this apply to us? How should this change us today? How should this make us understand our role as Christians better? It's simply this. We have a message of hope to bring. As you see the world around you, it is a world that is lost without Jesus Christ. And I hope you believe that. But then the call for us is, what do we do in the meantime? We gather here. We worship, we encourage each other, we equip one another, we use our our gifts that the Spirit has given us to edify the church, but then we take it outside of this building and we share it. Friends, I say this. Jesus says to His people in verse 4, remember the law, remember all I commanded you. The same is for us. We don't live under the law. But it's as if God is saying, remember Jesus. Remember the cross. Remember the empty tomb. Remember all that the disciples taught us in how to live for Christ. The things that we ought to be about doing until what? Until He returns. And the most important thing I believe that we can do is share the Gospel of hope. I end where I began. In that traditional Seder meal during the Passover, when they send the child, look, when they send the child to open the door to invite Elijah in, the one they're waiting for, and he doesn't appear, yes, it's sad. But you know why there's still hope in that home and that family? Because they believe maybe it will happen next year. There is still that excitement and that anticipation that the Messiah will come. Well, church, we know. We know the truth about Jesus. He claimed to be that Savior, to be God Himself. He claimed that He would have to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice to fulfill prophecy. He claimed Himself that He would have to die, that He would be buried, but He would come back to life. That's exactly what He did. 
And that's why we say it's the cornerstone of our Christian faith. So friends, church, when you, when you, in your daily walk with Him, when you are interacting with other people, are you sharing your faith? Are you living it out, but also are you using your words? Are you using the words of Scripture themselves to share the hope of Jesus Christ with the lost and hurting world? Because there is a day of judgment coming. We don't like to focus on that, but we know it's true. We know the truth. Who was that messenger? It was John the Baptist. Who was that Messiah? Jesus Christ Himself. So He is the one that we share. Maybe it's as simple as this. How about we just introduce our friends and family to Jesus? Did you ever just have a good friend that you you want to introduce to your friends, to your family? Hey, This is my good friend. Would we do that with the Lord Jesus? Let people know. It can be hard. It can be difficult. Sometimes we can be fearful of doing that. Maybe we'll be judged for it. When you think about that, think about the coming judgment. That should be sobering enough. God desires that none would perish. But there's always consequence for sin. Church, Jesus took all of that punishment and pain, that guilt and that shame, with Him onto the cross. Therefore, we have been set free. See, the Jewish people remember, especially during the Passover, what God had done for them, how God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. Church, we remember what God has done for us through the cross, that He has set us free from being slaves to sin, so now we can be free to worship and live for Christ. That is what we are set free for. That's our message of hope. That's our message of hope. And so as we end our time today, we'll end with a song. But what I'd like to do is this. I'm going to pray the the traditional prayer of what we call benediction, the closing prayer. And you can remain seated for that. But then there will be a time of worship available to you, an extended time of worship. You can sit and pray. You can pray with one another if you'd like. You can just sit and listen. Listen to the music, to the words of this song. Just speaking about how Jesus came to our rescue. If you need to leave, or if it's time for you to go, you can just quietly step out and have a time of fellowship in the, in the lobby or be on your way for the rest of the day. But we invite you, if you so desire, to take advantage of just an extended time to worship, to listen, to commune with your God, to reflect upon His Word, His message in Malachi. Perhaps you've grown indifferent in your relationship with God. Perhaps you've grown in different in the way that you worship, the way that you bring your offering, the way that you live your life, the way that you treat the people around you, or maybe you've grown indifferent in the way that you even desire to share the good news of the Gospel, whatever it might be. But in all of that, 
in all that time of reflection and whatever it looks like for you, remember with God there is always hope. And church, we have our hope in Jesus Christ. So let me pray. Stay seated. And then leave, at, you know, feel free to, to leave as you would like. Just do it quietly as others around you may stay to worship, to listen, to reflect. Father God, we thank you always for your son Jesus. We would be lost without him. But God, you have called us back to yourself through him. We know and we believe that it is only through him and his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, that we have the hope of life. Life now and life eternal with you. Reigning in your kingdom and then enjoying fellowship with you in the new heavens and the new earth. God, until that day, you have a responsibility and a call for us. And that is to worship you in all that we do. To show people that we have new life in Christ. To tell people to use our words and to express that joy that we now have. Because it is not based on our circumstances or how much money we have in the bank or whether we have a job or not, whether we're married or not, whether we're healthy or not. Our joy is in the Lord. God, we desire to represent you well in our families, community, the world around us as people who are hopeful. As people who do not fear that coming judgment on a sinful world because we believe that Jesus became sin for us. So God, I would just simply finally ask you, for anyone that is here, Lord God, of course you know our hearts. For anyone here who is still searching, who is not yet sure, God, would today be the day of salvation for them? God, would you get a hold of their hearts once and for all? God, that you would break down walls and barriers that we all put up to being vulnerable and real before you. But God, for those that are here this morning that have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation, God, would today be that day. God, you know that. You know us better than we know ourselves. Father, get a hold of hearts today. Let us not leave here without being changed. God, for those of us who already recognize and believe Jesus as Savior, who have surrendered and trusted that for eternal life and forgiveness, God, we say, bring us back. Bring us back out of a life of indifference to a life of joy and hope and of passion and excitement for all that You're doing that we get to be a part of. Your will and Your ways here on earth. God, have Your way with us as your children, as your church. Go before us, Holy Spirit. Would you prepare the way for us to represent Jesus to those people that we love? And God, we're only going to do it in Jesus' name for your glory and the power of the Spirit who leads. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please take the opportunity to stay.
to listen, to worship. If you need to leave, fine. Go and, and just go with peace and go um, just quietly. Enjoy some fellowship outside. And we look forward to seeing you again. Lord bless you. Be lifted high, and our love. 
lifted high in my life be lifted high in our world be lifted high in our love be lifted 